You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Are there any words Jesus ever spoke that stick to us more stubbornly in memory? Last week, we heard the blessings that immediately precede these verses in the Gospel of Matthew, the first public words out of Jesus' mouth, blessings that turn the world in somersaults upside down from what you'd expect. Blessed are the poor, the meek, really, the merciful, the peacemakers. Blessed even are those who are still trying to get it right, and those who mourn, and those even who are persecuted. The longer I live, the more those words work themselves into the soft tissue of me. Life is built on blessing, he said, and you are the salt of it. You are the light of it. You are what we need, Jesus said. You are. But if the primary qualities of what we need from you were to get lost, the qualities of brightness, of flavor, of blessing, it would turn it all almost into nonsense. If it were possible to somehow take the property of taste away from salt, what good would it be? If you were to take the light out of light, what on earth would you even have left? You, O oh blessed ones, are that useful. Jesus said, you need to think of yourselves as necessary, intrinsic, of the essence. Well, I was thinking about salt and light one afternoon this week as I walked over to meet a friend at the statue of the angel in the corner of the public garden. Do you know it? The statue inscribed with that verse from Ecclesiastes, Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. A verse, I think, about generosity. The wide open arm of the angel in that old monument struck me as a perfect companion to the newly unveiled monument on the other corner of our common space, where you can see how the long arc of history bends to embrace solidarity on its way to justice. Where generosity and solidarity are concerned, what goes around comes around, so our common space proclaims. And blessed are you who, by putting Mercy out there into the ecology of life together will surely find that mercy comes back to you. And blessed are you if you hunger and thirst to get life right, for in hungering and thirsting like that yourself, you will certainly end up nourishing others at the banquet of bread and justice. You are salt. But to do its work, salt has to come out of the shaker. Or how else will the world taste and see what is good? You are light. But to do your work, you have to be out in the open. Or else 
or else how will the world see at all? It was while I was on my way to the public garden to meet my friend, I think, that I began to realize that what I was working on this week in cobbling together these thoughts for you is a sort of early Valentine to the city of Boston. Here we sit, in the very midst of the city. And why are we here if not to be salt, if not to be light to the city that has given us a place at its heart? Why else would we take up this space? Why would we plant such a thing as a tower here unless it stands for something bright? something to infuse the flavor of love and justice. If God's creation is our reason for being at all, then Boston, Boston is our preeminent reason for being here. Where did you come from to be here, I wonder? What made you think of coming in to the center, weathering the weather, braving all the noise and hustle, betting on the tea, God bless you, or using up some of your parking karma? Your own heart had its own reasons, surely, but Boston is our reason. The soup that waits for the salt of our attention, our citizenship. If Boston were to lose that seasoning, well then, what would happen to the flavor of human life? Oh, of course, I'm not speaking only of us, this church alone, as though we were salt enough or light enough by ourselves. But I, I am speaking to this church. Boston... Boston is the stand that waits for the lamp of our encouragement, our solidarity. If Boston were to lose its way in shadows, well then, what would happen to its soul? So, so beginning to realize that what I was working on was an early Valentine for Boston, I went to meet my friend in the public garden at the statue of the generous angel who casts her bread outward. Now my friend, my friend has a touch of the mystic about her. So I told her what I'd been thinking about about being salt, about being light, about being here for Boston, choosing to come out and to come here, taking to byways and tunnels, taking to the streets in next Sunday's winter walk for the sake of those who sleep in the cold because they have no place else to sleep in this broken-hearted city. Practicing open arms with GBIO as part of an embrace that's wide enough, powerful enough to take in the whole city. Choosing, choosing to keep these doors open all day and into the evening so that folks can get warm and maybe talk a little, listen a little, weep a little if they need to, as Justin did on Wednesday, sitting 
right back there in this room. And God bless you, Justin, wherever you are now out there. I told my friend who met me by the angel of the arms open outward that I think we're here to be salt and light and to come out of the shaker to put ourselves on a lampstand like a tower so the light can shine, to put our feet to the street and get ourselves out there for Boston. And as I heard myself telling her what it was starting to seem to me to mean to be salt and light in this place, putting ourselves out there for the broken-hearted city, it started to weigh on me a little bit, started to feel like a lot to ask in this day and age, with all of our reasons for being extra careful, all the practice we've gotten in disconnection, and all the things that seem to be pushing us to think of other people as adversaries. It was already feeling like a lot to ask you. A crazy project to think of being here on this corner, to be salt, to be light, to cast such bread as we have outward. Wondering what you'd think if I reminded you that Jesus, standing on the pilings of the blessings, called us salt, called us light, wondering what you'd make of this way of thinking about coming into church as though it were a valentine to the broken-hearted city. I told my friend all of that, standing at the generous angel of the public garden, and my friend with the mystical streak said brightly, just like Henry Nowen on his trapeze. Now, it wasn't quite as much of a non sequitur to me as it might sound like to you, but almost. So let me explain. Henry Nowen was a great pastoral theologian of my earlier years, one of my teachers in divinity school, in fact, a Dutch Catholic priest who was deeply wise and also sometimes an anguished and lonely man who lived with many insecurities even as he wrote dozens of beautiful books about the life of the spirit, books like The Wounded Healer and The Road to Daybreak and a whole book about Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son that is by itself a way to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Henry Nouwen was a shy and brilliant and sometimes anguished man alone inside his gay Catholic life in an era before he really could ever even name that. I had known him at Divinity School as a great soul and a great teacher of souls. But I hadn't known until my friend told me the other afternoon that near the end of Henry's life, of all things, he fell into friendship with a troupe of trapeze artists at a circus in Rotterdam. What? Henry Nouwen, the great scholar and teacher of the Christian life of my generation, in the last year or two of his life, 
became fascinated with a group of trapeze artists, wanted to know everything about them, how they did their flying and falling and catching, how they thought about the freedom that they had in the air for those few instants, how it felt to them, wanted to understand their intensely enmeshed way of working together because of all things, Apparently, Henry said, or so my friend told me, that he thought these trapeze artists were the best teachers of Christian spirituality he ever had in his whole life. At the end of his life, just before he died of a heart attack, at the end of his life, this man who'd lived his full life thinking beautiful thoughts and writing beautiful words about the spiritual life, wanted nothing more than to learn how they put every muscle, every fiber, every cell of themselves out there into what they did on the flying trapeze. Now, this is a stretch, maybe. Call it my funny valentine to Boston. But in that moment, with my friend at the sign of the angel of the outstretched arm, it came to seem as though getting out there to be salt and light for the world is maybe not so different sometimes from flying and reaching out and being caught. What's going on in our spirits when God stirs them up, standing on the pilings of blessing? What's going on in our spirits needs to be expressed with our bodies and fleshed in our lives. Because, beginning with Jesus, the Christian life is about incarnation, right? His and ours. So, we put ourselves out there. We wing our way out there, swinging through time, such time as we're given anyway, with as much abandon as we can, risking the streets, risking the air, risking relationships, risking time itself, because God is there to catch us with blessing. And after a while, we're there to catch each other, aren't we? And what goes around comes around putting what we've got out there in the world because it's necessary, because it's intrinsic, because it's our reason for being here in the first place, our reason for being out over Copley Square without a net. I mean, what a circus we are, right? with all our reasons for being here, in the colorful costumes of all our stories, our madcap adventures in this life, the fierce beasts we've tried to tame, the brassy music we've tried to join in on, almost as though at the end of each service, the doors open and out spill all the people, like acrobats juggling all the things that life gives us to juggle, back out into the center ring because it's time to try swinging and flying 
and reaching and catching each other again, being there for each other so that together we can turn to Boston with light in our eyes and the taste of sweet hope to drive out all the bitterness. We can cast our kindness like bread upon the sidewalks and avenues and greenways and in the elevators and subway cars because it will come back. That's how generosity works. We can swing out over it all and dazzle the world with blessing because blessing was the first word out of his mouth after all. And it's a word that has worked its way into the deepest part of us, the word we hold out over Boston, the word we offer Boston and every city, the word we offer to Memphis and Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay, and Colorado Springs, and Atlanta, and Ferguson, and Minneapolis, and Louisville. And we offer it because it's the thing Jesus told us to stand on and promised us it was strong enough for us to swing from. And so high across the big top of the world, we offer it because it's our reason for being here. And if that reason gets lost, well then, what then? What then? Here's what Henry Nouwen said to those trapeze artists. A very short time before, to his own great surprise, he died of a heart attack. Having, though, I love this, having gotten at least a few swings of his own with their help on the flying trapeze. There's film of it. I've seen it. I'll tell you how to see it yourself. Here's what Henry said. And I venture to think that it's not far from what Jesus would say right now to us who are, he would remind us, salt of the earth, light of the world. And what Jesus would teach us to say to Boston, our valentine to Boston. You were beloved before you were born and you will be beloved after you die. That's the truth of your identity that's who you are. Whether you feel bad or not bad, or whatever the world makes you think or experience, you belong to God from eternity to eternity. Life is just an interruption of eternity, just a little opportunity for a few years to say, I love you too.